make my book readable. The intelligent reader will easily see for himself where I have used this artifice, and he is at perfect liberty to reject it. Another reason that has caused me to embark upon this work with apprehension is that the persons I have chiefly to deal with are American. It is very difficult to know people, and I don't think one can ever really know any but one's own countrymen. For men and women are not only themselves, they are also the region in which they were born, the city apartment or the farm in which they learnt to walk, the games they played as children, the old wives' tales they overheard, the food they ate, the schools they attended, the sports they followed, the poets they read, and the God they believed in. It is all these things that have made them what they are, and these are things that you can't come to know by hearsay. You can only know them if you have lived them. You can only know them if you are them. And because you cannot know persons of a nation foreign to you except from observation, it is difficult to give them credibility in the pages of a book. Even so subtle and careful an observer as Henry James, though he lived in England for forty years, never managed to create an Englishman who was through and through English. For my part, except in a few short stories, I have never attempted to deal with any but my own countrymen. And if I have ventured to do otherwise in short stories, it is because in them you can treat your characters more summarily. You give the reader broad indications and leave him to fill in the details. It may be asked why, if I turned Paul Gauguin into an Englishman, I could not do the same with the persons of this book. The answer is simple. I couldn't. They would not then have been the people they are. I do not pretend that they are American as Americans see themselves. They are American seen through an English eye. I have not attempted to reproduce the peculiarities of their speech. The mess English writers make when they try to do this is only equalled by the mess American writers make when they try to reproduce English as spoken in England. Slang is the great pitfall. Henry James, in his English stories, made constant use of it, but never quite as the English do, so that instead of getting the colloquial effect he was after, it too often gives the English reader an uncomfortable jolt. 2. In 1919 I happened to be in Chicago on my way to the Far East, and for reasons that have nothing to do with this narrative, I was staying there for two or three weeks. I had recently brought out a successful novel, and being for the moment news, I had no sooner arrived than I was interviewed. Next morning my telephone rang. I answered. Elliot Templeton speaking. Elliot? I thought you were in Paris. No, I'm visiting with my sister. We want you to come along and lunch with us today. I should love to. He named the hour and gave me the address. I had known Elliot Templeton for fifteen years. He was at this time in his late fifties, a tall, elegant man with good features and thick, waving dark hair, only sufficiently graying to add to the distinction of his appearance. He was always beautifully dressed. He got his haberdashery at Chavez, but his suits, his shoes, and his hats in London. He had an apartment in Paris on the Rive Gauche in the fashionable Rue Saint-Guillaume. People who did not like him said he was a dealer, but this was a charge that he resented with indignation. He had taste and knowledge, and he did not mind admitting that in bygone years, when he first settled in Paris, he had given rich collectors who wanted to buy pictures the benefit of his advice, and when, through his social connections, he heard that some impoverished nobleman, English or French, was disposed to sell a picture of first-rate quality, 
He was glad to put him in touch with the directors of American museums, who, he happened to know, were on the lookout for a fine example of such and such a master. There were many old families in France, and some in England, whose circumstances compelled them to part with a signed piece of boule, or a writing-table made by Chippendale himself, if it could be done quietly, and they were glad to know a man of great culture and perfect manners who could arrange the matter with discretion. One would naturally suppose that Elliot profited by the transactions, but one was too well-bred to mention it. Unkind people asserted that everything in his apartment was for sale, and that after he had invited wealthy Americans to an excellent lunch with vintage wines, one or two of his valuable drawings would disappear, or a marquetry commode would be replaced by one in lacquer. When he was asked why a particular piece had vanished, he very plausibly explained that he hadn't thought it quite up to his mark, and had exchanged it for one of much finer quality. He added that it was tiresome always to look at the same things. Nous autres Américains, we...